Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. You may be seated. So before we get into the message this morning, just a couple of reminders. This Wednesday, February the 1st, we finally get back to our midweek routine. We're going to be meeting over in the cafeteria, and I hope many of you will be able to come out on Wednesday night. We're going to be having pizza on Wednesday night. Try to get it there around 6.30. And uh, we're going to be uh, sharing a message from 2 Timothy on understanding the times we live in. A very timely, relevant message for us as Christians today. So I hope many of you will be able to come out Wednesday night, 7 o'clock in the cafeteria. Don't forget men. Today is the barbecue, the men's barbecue here at the church. And it's also over in the cafeteria, 12.30. That will start. So we hope that many of you will be able to make it. Maybe you're a guy and you came here and you didn't even realize that we were having a men's barbecue today. You are also invited to stay. There will be plenty of food. So we would love for you to join us for our food and fellowship time at 1230 this afternoon. And then uh, I wanted to just bring you a, a quick update. I can't give you a lot of specific details yet, but I do every once in a while want to sort of give you an update of where we are We truly believe we're going to be able to break ground on our building this spring. Uh, But before we do that, backing up a little bit, there's some things that we're running out logistically that we want to do before we actually get over there with the equipment and break ground. Uh, One of those is we would like to have like a a prayer walk around the uh, property for any of you that would like to join us and pray over that property before they actually start building on it. And we're going to be working out details for that and letting you know when that takes place, if you'd like to be a part of that. Then we'd also, and this is going to take some logistical planning, we'd like to get as many of you over there on the property as possible and take a picture of all of us together, again, before they start building on that property. But obviously, with us not being able to park on the property, we've got to work it out with some of those nice neighbors over there where to park all these cars when they descend. Of course, we would encourage you to carpool with each other and all that to try to cut down on the amount of cars we would take over there. But anyway, we are working on those things, and we want to have those happen in the next couple of months uh, because we believe then, you know, sometime April, May, we're actually going to be able to start moving some dirt. So we're excited about that. Uh, Today, as always at the Oasis, I'm going to be speaking from the Bible. But as you've already probably seen, I don't have my Bible with me this morning. Um, and, And God impressed upon me that for this message, uh, and maybe others to come, that Uh, Going even back to last week's message, he really wants all of us to focus on him speaking to us through his word and listening to him without necessarily maybe the distraction of trying to find, you know, particular verses and, and passages of scripture. Now, here's what I would encourage you to do today is we're going to be looking at the passage from Mark chapter four, verse thirty five all the way through Mark chapter 5. So what I'd I'd encourage you to do is this week is to read that passage of Scripture. Maybe even divide it up into sections and read a little bit one day and a little bit another day. and, And again, allow God to speak to you even further through His Word 
and sort of use today as a foundation for that, if you will. Before we actually get into the specifics of the message this morning, let me share with you sort of the overall theme. Last week in Mark chapter 4, Mark shared with us a series of parables or teachings that Jesus did. Now he follows that up in Mark 4.35 through chapter 5 with a series of miracles that Jesus is performing here in this passage of Scripture. Reason being is that what Jesus does, his works, are, are going to authenticate and confirm what he says, his words. So that's why he follows up the teachings of Jesus with the miracles of Jesus. He's saying, if you look at what this man Jesus did, then that's why we can trust what he says, because only Jesus could do these things. And let's remember, too, that the overall purpose of the Gospel of Mark is to evoke, to stir within us, to arouse from anyone who reads this Gospel a lasting response in word and in deed to the true identity of Jesus Christ. Well, the first sort of scene that we're brought to in Mark 435 here is where Jesus offers safety through life's storms. That's the first thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus offers safety through life's storms. After he concluded his teaching ministry, the Bible says in Mark 435 that Jesus said to his disciples, let's get in this boat and let's go and sail across to the other side. Jesus here is, when he's speaking, the original language brings out the fact that he is wanting in the hearts of his disciples, his followers, to sort of settle it, if you will, to settle the matter, to, to lay it to rest. In other words, Jesus doesn't say to them, well, let's go out into the middle of this lake and let's all die and drown. No, he doesn't say that. He says, let's get in the boat and let's go across to the other side. In other words, the implication is, we're going to make it. You're going to be okay, even though you don't know that a storm is going to arise, a storm that's going to put fear in you. Now, a couple things. One, what we note then is that just because we are following Christ, and listening to his word doesn't mean that we're not going to face storms. We will face storms in our life. But if Jesus allows these storms, it is so that we might even have the reaction of his followers here in this passage, where down towards the end of the chapter, after he's calmed everything... And save them from what they thought was going to be a near-death experience. They say, who then is this that can speak to the waves and the sea and make everything calm? Who then is this? You see, if, if a storm can come into our life, 
and somehow very practically and profoundly give us new understanding into who Jesus is, then that's a good thing. Even though the storm is maybe what brought it about. So maybe you're here today or you're listening to this message and you're going through a storm. We're all going to go through storms in our life, even those who follow Jesus and listen to his words. Now, the other thing we note here is that these men in the boat with Jesus, they were fishermen. Remember, he called the first of his followers were fishermen by trade, which means they were used to getting in a boat. They were used to sailing in the lakes and stuff, and they were certainly even used to storms coming up. They had done this for years. But what this also teaches us is even though we may be experienced in a certain area, even though we may have training in a certain area, we never stop being at a point in our life where we don't need Jesus. (laughs) You see. Because these men were, they were terrified. So it must have been a very unusual and big storm for these very seasoned fishermen to be all like we're going to die out here in the middle of of the lake that day because they had certainly experienced storms in all their years of fishing and yet this storm brought fear into their lives now again the reason why jesus was allowing this is because He wanted to show his followers here and wants to show us that when the storms of life come, that if we will continue to trust in him and believe in him and have confidence in him, we can still have that safety and security in our lives in spite of the storms that we're going through. You'll notice then in this passage, there are three Things that are described as great when you read this. There's this great windstorm that comes up on the Sea of Galilee, the lake. There is a great calm that Jesus brings about when he speaks to the waves in the sea. And then we also see here that there's great fear amongst his followers. But there's also something else here in this passage that's great. And that is that there's a great Savior who's in the midst of it all, and he's in the boat with these men. Now, the Bible tells us when this great windstorm arises on the lake that I'm sure these men started to try to figure this out on their own. Again, they were seasoned fishermen. They had been on boats. They were probably trying to adjust the sails. They were probably trying to do everything they could within their resources to ride this out themselves. But they got to a place where they realized they are in over their heads. And where do they find Jesus? The Bible says he's sleeping in the back of the boat. I mean, this this storm in their minds is about ready to claim their lives. And there's Jesus just... Snoring away in the back of the boat. And you can, you, can, you can feel what's going on here. If you've ever been in one of those experiences where you thought maybe your life was going to end or all that. Kind of, they go to the back of the boat and they're literally like chiding Jesus. 
They're like, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die out here? And you and I, before we're too hard on the disciples, we've all been there. Sometimes in the storms that God has allowed in our life, what what do we start to do? God, don't you care? Don't you take an interest in me? Aren't you paying attention to what's going on? Aren't you taking any thought about what's happening in my life? That's exactly where the disciples were. And after waking Jesus, he looks at them and he says, why are you so cowardly? It was a cowardly fear that had gripped his followers. And then he looks at them and he says, even after all this time, you still have no faith? And the key word there in the words of Jesus are still. In other words, not even after all you've seen me do and all you've experienced with me up to this point, you still have no confidence or trust or belief in what I have said and who I am? That you allow the storms of life to so grip you with fear, even though I'm right here with you? And Jesus would say the same thing to us today. He would say, yes, I allow storms to come into your life. But if I'm in the boat with you, if you've invited me to be in your life and you are following me, you have nothing to be afraid of. Trust me. Believe in me. Have confidence in me. I didn't take you out into the middle of this lake to drown you. And that's certainly not the way the Messiah who left the glories of heaven and came to earth to die for our sins and to give himself for us. That's not how it was going to go down. And if the disciples like us would have just had faith in Jesus's words, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. They'd have never been that afraid, even in the midst of the storm. And that's why Jesus questions and challenges their faith. Now, before that, the Bible says that when Jesus got up and saw that the disciples were so afraid, he literally spoke to the wind and spoke to the waves of the sea like a parent would a child. In the original, he literally says, hush. And the Bible says, there was a great or dead calm, as the Net Bible translates it. I mean, it went from this unbelievable storm that the disciples thought they were going to die in to complete calm. Simply because Jesus spoke the word. And that's when the disciples... Because again, they, they really hadn't gotten to a place where they believed he was all that he really was. He was someone that they respected. He was someone that they wanted to follow. He was someone that they felt they could learn from. But to think that he was the living God, the Son of God, the one who could literally speak to wind and waves and sea and they would obey him, they hadn't gotten there yet. And that's when they react in this way. Who is this? That he can speak to the wind and the sea and it listens to him. 
It hears him and obeys. And then the Bible said that his followers in the boat, that they had this great fear come over them. But it wasn't a cowardly fear like Jesus pointed out earlier. It was like a paralyzing fear. It was almost like an awe, like who are we standing in the presence of here? This is no normal human being or or anybody that we've ever been around before. And, And it was almost like, wow. The message that Jesus wants to give to us today from this story is that he is offering safety to us through life storm. Yes, there will be storms in our life. But Jesus wants us to find our security and our safety in him. And to trust him and to have confidence in him and believe in him. And not question the fact that he doesn't care about us. Simply because he's allowing these great storms. If he's allowing them, it may be like it was with his followers to get us to a place where we begin to recognize him in an even more insightful way. Where we understand him in a greater way. Where we begin to grow in our faith and trust him more. Because we realize, who then is this that can bring all this about? As we sang this morning, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Well, then we move from that miracle to chapter 5, where Jesus offers us peace through life's chaos and confusion. Now, think this through with me for a moment. And if I was going through it, I wouldn't find any humor in it. But looking back on a couple thousand years and thinking about those guys that were following him, I find a little humor in this. In the sense, and and we've all been there at times in our life where, okay, they just felt like they just came through a near-death experience and they can take a deep breath. And the Bible says in chapter 5, the boat lands on the other side and everything's going to be calm, cool, and collected for a while, right? No. As soon as they get there, the Bible says this demon-possessed man confronts Jesus. Now, you can imagine this. Are you kidding me? We just had that bad experience out on the lake. And now, a few minutes later, we, you got this to deal with? Again, we, we can relate with that, can't we? Some, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we go through seasons in our life where it's like once one thing ends, then something else rolls right in. And you think to yourself, I'm sure the disciples, we can't cut a, catch a break. We go from a near drowning in the middle of the lake, and now we're confronted with all these demons. Yeah, it's the way it is sometimes. Now, the description of what was going on here is certainly sobering and tragic. The Bible doesn't tell us how old this man was, but that this man was tormented by having so many demonic spirits living inside of him. And the Bible says that he was confused. His life was chaotic. In fact, his life was out of control. The Bible said that that his family and friends who had tried to shackle him and restrain him and bind him could not. Nothing could restrain 
this man. The supernatural power that, that this man possessed through the possession of, of this, these demonic spirits within him just overwhelmed everything that they tried to do to, to restrain him and to keep him. And then the Bible said that he would live amongst the tombs and, and literally he would cut himself. He was exhibiting all this self-destructive behavior. Now let me say this for a moment. Not all self-destructive behavior and not all lives that are filled with confusion and chaos and are out of control have a direct result from some kind of demonic influence. Sometimes the reason our lives are chaotic and confused and out of control and we're involved with self-destructive behavior is because we've made those choices. But either way, we need to be aware that our lives are susceptible to becoming like this demon-possessed man. We're confused. There's no clarity in our life. Our life is chaotic. Our life is seemingly out of control. Again, we're exhausting all of our resources, but nothing seems to work. We then become engaged in very self-destructive behavior. And it's like we, we know we're hurting ourselves, but it's like... It's beyond us. It's bigger than us. We can't control it. We have not the power within us to be able to deal with it. And Jesus comes along. And Jesus begins to speak to this man. And Jesus finds out that this man has thousands of demonic spirits living within him. We know that because when Jesus asks what the name is, the one that's the spokesman for them all says, my name is Legion. It's a pretty large number in Jesus' day. It could have been anywhere from a couple thousand demons to 6,000 demons inside this man. The point, though, is that this man had no peace in his life. Absolutely none. Just like many people do today. They have no peace in their life. In fact, they try to even stay busy because they don't want to sort of sit still long enough to be able to think because it's too painful. Life is too chaotic. It's too out of control. It's bigger than I can, can take. And so I just try to just keep myself going and try not to deal with it and confront it because I don't have the wherewithal within me to deal with it. But Jesus does. And Jesus offered this man peace in the midst of his chaos and confused, out-of-control life. Jesus commanded the demonic spirits within him to get out. And just like with the waves, and just like with the sea, they must obey the voice of Jesus. 
Because everything in this universe is under his authority. And that's what Mark wanted us to see. Whether you're talking about his creation or the demonic world, everything must listen to the voice of Jesus. Well, if you read the story, you find out what happened. That this man who was cutting himself and destroying himself and, and out of control and chaotic, the Bible says that when Jesus took all of those demons out of this man's life, he was sitting there peacefully in his right mind. That Jesus gave this man something that he hadn't had for years. He had peace of mind. He had tranquility. He was actually able to just sit there still and not go through all the torment that had been in his life for so long. He was actually able to enjoy peace and quiet for the first time in a long time. And Jesus here today is maybe saying to some of you, oh, maybe you aren't under the influence of demonic spirits. But maybe like this demonically possessed man, your life is similar in that your life is confused. Your life is chaotic. Your life is out of control. And you may be even engaged in self-destructive behavior. And Jesus is offering you his peace. Jesus said, in the Gospel of John. I want to give you my peace so that you will not be distressed and torn in all these different directions. I want you to have a tranquil, calm mind. And just like Jesus calmed the sea and the waves, Jesus calmed this man's life and calmed his mind. And that's what Jesus can do for you. All Jesus asks is that you and I bring our life to him and let him settle it. Let him sort it all out. Because you and I cannot do it on our own. Only Jesus can offer us that kind, that quality of peace. Then we come to Mark chapter 5 and I want to go down to verse 25. Because like Mark does a lot of times, there's sort of a story within a story. And here in this passage, there's a miracle within a miracle. That even though in verse 21, and we'll come back to that, where he's approached by the ruler of the synagogue whose daughter is dying. I want to go down to this young woman who's had this hemorrhage for 12 years. And it begins in Mark 5:25. Now, this woman, unlike the disciples, she has faith. Because she says, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch Jesus, I know that Jesus could heal me. She had that kind of faith. But it's also very sad what this woman experienced. The Bible says there in her story that this woman had went from doctor to doctor, and I'm sure even, forget the legitimate doctors, probably even went from quack or crackpot to crackpot, trying to find anyone that could help her to relieve this issue of blood. Because, again, in this day and age, 
This was not something that would just bring about physical pain in this woman's life. This would be something that would bring emotional pain. This was something that would render this woman ritually unclean, which meant that she could not participate in, in, in a sense, corporate worship and that she would be shunned by many people. And she probably, like that man we met several weeks ago, uh, the leper, maybe not had even experienced physical touch for a long time. And the Bible says that she went from doctor to doctor and even spent all that she had, all of her life savings. And the Bible says yet nothing worked. In fact, the Bible says she even got worse. Twelve years. The pain. Again, so much more than just physical pain. Lost all of her resources. All of her finances was gone. Nothing was helping. In fact, she even got worse. So you can imagine the spiritual, emotional, and physical pain that this woman was in. And the Bible says as this crowd of people with Jesus moves towards the house of this ruler of the synagogue whose daughter was near death, this woman comes up into this crowd and she's able to touch him. And the Bible said that Jesus knew that healing, supernatural, miraculous power had went out from him. But he would not allow this woman to, what I call, steal a healing. Or to somehow interact with Jesus in a stealthy manner. A secretive manner. Because that's not how God works. God wants us to come out into the open with him. And so he turns and he starts looking at the crowd and he's going to pick out who he knows has touched him in that way. And something obviously connects him with this woman. And he says to this woman, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. But before that all took place, after their eyes meet, she sort of realized, I've been found out. I, 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 can't, I can't be secretive about this anymore. And the Bible said she came before Jesus and told him, and you'll notice this, the whole truth. I told him everything. Can I tell you why that's important? Because many human beings, even followers of Jesus Christ that are experiencing pain in their life, part of the reason why they never get past the pain and allow Jesus to offer them relief from their pain is they're never really willing to come out into the open with Jesus and tell him everything and get it all out there. But that's what this woman realized that she had to do. I have to come clean with Jesus. I, I got to stop playing games. And this woman, who had dealt with this for so long, received Jesus' gift of relief. Jesus wants us all to stop trying to deal with the pain of life on our own. And we will experience pain. 
He wants us to rely and depend and trust in Him to bring the relief that only He can bring through life's pain. Just as He did to this woman that day. Will you accept the relief that Jesus can bring in your life? And stop trying to deal and cope with the pain of life on your own? Before we move to the last scene or miracle this morning, let me also say this. It is very evident in this passage of Scripture and many times in our lives that we're a lot like the people in this passage. In that, whenever something comes into our life, we exhaust all of our resources first. And then when none of them work, then we turn to Jesus. He's like our last resort. When everything else has failed and nothing has worked, now God, I'll see about doing it your way. And what Jesus wants to teach us here is to not live that way. To not make Jesus the last resort to where we're trying to deal with situations and navigate life by exhausting all of our resources first and all those around us and realizing that they're all going to come up empty. Just go to the only one that can offer safety in the storms of life. Peace in life's chaos and confusion and relief from life's pain. And then I want you to go back up to chapter 5, verse 21, where we're introduced to this last scene, where Jesus offers hope through life's tragedies. Jesus offers hope through life's tragedies. Jesus is walking and he's approached by the ruler of the synagogue, a man by the name of Jairus, who comes up and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Jesus, could you come to my home and heal my daughter? Again, someone who had faith in who Jesus was. Said, my daughter is near death. But I I know if you came, things would be different. So the Bible said Jesus went with this man and started to move towards his home. Now get this though. Again, appreciate what's happening here. As much as Jairus, I'm sure, was happy for this woman's healing... Can you imagine the angst that he was going through as a parent of a near-death child? It's like, Jesus, we don't have time to stop and heal her. You've got to keep moving. Uh, This is nice, Jesus, but uh, we got to keep going. My daughter is really sick. She is near death, and now you're stopping. And by the time Jesus had interacted with this woman with the issue of blood, the Bible picks up the story again in Mark 5.35 where a delegation comes from Jairus' house and basically informs Jairus and Jesus that it's too late. It's too late. That in this interval of time, she's died. And so there's no use in troubling him any longer. 
Now you'll notice in the net Bible, and I love this, the Bible says in that very next verse, Jesus paid no attention to them and kept moving towards Jairus' house. It wasn't that he was being rude. What he was modeling for us was something very important here. Jesus alone determines and defines each and every situation. He wasn't going to let what they thought determine and define the situation. He defines and determines the situation. And too often in our life, we allow what other people say and what other people think to determine and define how things are. Jesus is trying to get us to look to him. Then the Bible said that he got there. And when Jesus got there, like there are in those days, there were mourners there. They were weeping. They were wailing. They were mourning the loss of this young girl, who, by the way, was also 12 years of age. Think about it. Maybe it's ironic. Maybe it's coincidence that this girl was born at the same time that that woman started her issue of blood. 12 years. And the Bible said that when Jesus got there, he took Peter, James, and John, and and he was going to go in, and he even says to them, well, she's not really dead dead. In other words, she's not going to stay dead. I'm going to wake her up. She's just asleep. Again, not speaking about the fact that it's no big deal to go in and actually wake somebody up from sleep. He was actually going to raise her from the dead, but he was just using, again, the word sleep as sort of a a metaphor for death and saying, this this isn't the end. She's going to get back up again. And the Bible said they laughed at him. They made fun of Jesus when he said that. Which is why he put all those unbelievers out of the room. And takes Peter, James, and John and the mother and father and says, you come into this room where this little girl is lying dead with me. Because if Jesus is going to do great things and he's going to perform miracles and he's going to do supernatural things, it's only going to be in the midst of people who believe in him. Not those who are skeptical and scoff at who he is. Which is why, can I tell you, at this church right now, one of the things that God is trying to do is gather a group of people that truly believe in who he is. Because if Jesus is going to do great and awesome and miraculous and supernatural things, it's only going to be in the company of those who really believe in what he can do. Not in those who doubt who he is. So he put the rest of them out of the room And I can only imagine, especially the mother and father of that young young girl and what was going through their minds when our Lord went up to her lying on that bed, dead. And Mark is the only gospel that records the words of Jesus to that young girl. Talitha kum, which means little girl. Rise. And the Bible said that at the word of Jesus, she rose from the dead. And the Bible, Mark said, 
They were all astonished at what had just taken place. Jesus offers hope in life's tragedies and through life's tragedies. That doesn't mean everybody that we love isn't going to die. It, isn't gonna, it doesn't mean that we're not going to go through crises and tragedies in our life. We will. But if we truly believe and trust and have confidence in Jesus, then we know that even death is not the end. It's not the end for those that we love who love Him, and it's not the end for us. Because Jesus offers us hope beyond death. And He even offers us hope in the midst of life's tragedies. Even things that obviously He didn't cause, but if we trust Him, we know that He can work something good out of it, which is what Romans 8.28 is all about. It is the hope that we have as followers of Jesus Christ that even in the midst of life's yuckiest moments, God can work something good out of all situations. To those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Do you believe that today? That's the hope that we have. I know in my life, I've been around death since I was a child. And yet I stand here not thinking God doesn't know what he's doing, but I stand here before you a person of hope. In spite of all the death that I've experienced in my life. Many of you know my brother and sister died. My brother died at four, my sister died at two, but I have hope that I will see them again. I'm not hopeless because I've experienced death in my life. My mom and dad and I lived next door to my grandmother and grandfather for years when I was a child. And I was literally there the day that my grandmother died. I walked next door and I was helping her with the laundry. As a five-year-old can help their grandmother with their laundry. And my grandmother had a massive stroke and was dead before she even hit the floor, the doctor said. Now, obviously, I didn't know what happened. I just scurried back across to my mom and said, Mom, Grandma's passed out. But Grandma had died right in front of me. My father died of pancreatic cancer 25 years ago at the age of 58 years of age. I know death. But I stand before you today, not a hopeless individual, but a hopeful individual. Not because of anything in me or what I've done, but because I believe and trust in Jesus Christ. The one who can offer hope to us in the midst of life's tragedies and crises. And only Jesus can give us that hope. 
That's why Paul said to the Romans in Romans 15, verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe in Him, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have hope today? Only Jesus can offer that hope. So these miracles remind us the wind listens to Jesus. The sea listens to Jesus. Demonic spirits listen to Jesus. Illness and disease listens to Jesus. And death listens to Jesus. All things are under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why only Jesus can offer safety through life's storms, peace in life's chaos and confusion, relief from life's pain, and give us hope in the midst of life's tragedies. Do you believe in Him today? Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, may we come here today and maybe even like the disciples of old, we realize from this passage of Scripture what they said. Who then is this that can speak to the wind and the waves and they listen to Him? Who is this? May we come to a better, clearer, more accurate and greater understanding of you today, Jesus. Because if we do, then that helps us to navigate any and everything in life. Minister God to your people today as only you can. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this last song this morning, I want to invite you. Maybe you're going through a storm in your life right now. And you're looking for that security and safety that only Jesus can give. Maybe your life is out of control and chaotic and confused and you're looking for that peace that only Jesus can give. Maybe you're in pain, spiritual, emotional, physical. It all hurts. And you're looking for that relief that only Jesus can give. Or maybe you're going through some kind of real crisis or tragedy in your life and you're looking for hope that only Jesus can give. And you would like to come here this morning and at the end of us singing, you would like me, your pastor, to pray over you today. Then you come. And you let Jesus minister to you today as we sing this final song.